Hello, and welcome to Two Hearts, a new Who podcast. I'm Callum. And I'm James. And listener, you can only imagine how much fear went into the making of this podcast. take a look at another episode from the Doctor Who Revival and today we have reached the end of the proverbial line for series 5 with the two-part finale the Pandorica opens and the Big Bang. As always just a quick reminder that you can find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Two Hearts Pod that's two the number two or you can email us at twoheartspodcast at gmail.com that's two the word two. Rate and review on iTunes please. Uh, <laughs> Callum not much to banter or news to talk about this week is there? Uh, you know, no, not really. There's nothing. We we got into a nice groove there when we were recording these episodes, where there'd be big news being announced on the days we were recording. We were like, oh, we're just really good at this podcasting thing. Oh, we're just reveling in it. It's so easy to record a podcast when there's things to talk about. <laughs> exactly, but that hasn't happened this week, and there's no news out there. So we're really just kind of shooting the shit before we start talking about the last two episodes of series five of Doctor Who. Can you believe it? I can. It's been like eight months in the making for us. Mm. Oh, well, uh-oh. Mm. Uh, <laughs> uh-oh. Uh-oh. No, look, uh, yeah, look, well, look, on, on the topic of haste, let's dive right into the Pandorica Opens and the Big Bang. Pandorica. <laughs> That's a fairy tale. If it is real, it's here and it's opening. What is it? A box, a cage, a prison. There was a goblin or a trickster or a warrior soaked in the blood of a billion galaxies. The most feared being in all the cosmos. The Pandorica. More than just a fairy tale. It's opening. Your world has visitors. Dalek's daughter. And cyber ships. Sontara, Slavine, Chelonian, Nestine, Dravin. But what's in there? What could justify all this? What are you? What could you possibly be? The Pandorica Opens and The Big Bang are episodes 12 and 13, respectively, of Series 5 of the Doctor Who Revival. They were written by showrunner Stephen Moffat and directed by Toby Haynes. Um, Callum, I've got a pretty pretty girthy plot to, to mm. explain this week. Don't, don't, don't say girthy, please. <laughs> Oh, oh, don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, that is true. This is a a packed two-parter, but it's also not. I think you'll be able to do it. I think you you can get all the points in 60 seconds. Well, 90. It's it's two episodes. Whatever. Yeah, 90. Okay. I'll add an extra 30 seconds to the timer I just set up. (laughs) We always do this for two-parters. Oh, oh, do we always do this? Do we always? Yeah, we do. We We do. do. Don't gaslight me. <clears throat> All right, are okay. we ready? Oh, we ready. All right, All right. hang on, I'm going to call you into it. Um, okay, three, two, one. Okay, so Vincent van Gogh has a vision of the TARDIS exploding and he paints a painting of it. Uh, River then sees this painting and decides she has to tell the Doctor. And so she gets in touch with him and tells her to tells him to meet her on like a Roman battlefield at Stonehenge or whatever. Uh, underneath Stonehenge is where they find the titular Pandorica, which is essentially like a big prison puzzle box thing, which nobody is quite sure what it contains. Uh, they find evidence and radio signals telling them that like all the Doctor's greatest enemies are gathering there on this night 
right? Uh, everybody shows up and they put the doctor in the Pandorica, effectively sealing him away, uh, stopping him from uh, the stopping the TARDIS from exploding, which causes the universe to blip out of existence. In the meantime, Rory is now returned in the form of a Centurion soldier. Uh, Amy doesn't remember him though, and he's heartbroken about this. Um, we find out that the entire thing has been an elaborate ruse played on the Doctor and Amy based on her memories, which is why Rory is now back. Uh, but he is also a robot, and he accidentally kills her at the end of part one. Part two, uh, basically, uh, everything is everywhere all at once. Uh, time is magic, and the Doctor blips in and out of existence because because there's just like one little time bubble left in the world uh, to try to fix everything. The riv ri river helps. Amy seconds. also helps. Uh, and then and then uh, they, they fix it and Amy gets married and then they all live happily ever after. Well, six, five, four, three, two, one. So here's the thing. Mm. I don't really know how to describe the plot of part two. <laughs> well, <clears throat> yes... But that doesn't make it any bad. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Please, listeners, do not misunderstand. I think we're both pretty high on these episodes. Yeah. But condensing it into a, you know, 45-second plot description, it's it's next to impossible because mm. these two are so unwieldy and messy and yet very straightforward to actually watch. It is a very strange meeting of, of ideas and tones. It is. And also just not to counter and shit over what you just said, but it is a very consistent tying together of the themes and the, <clears throat> the style, I suppose, of this season. Um, mm -hmm. It is a capstone to what is probably the most consistent season of Doctor Who since, in, in terms of our rewatching of the show, um, since series one, right? Mm -hmm. I would agree. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I was drinking. <laughs> um, yeah, so we don't want to wander off the path um, while recapping these episodes. So we might try and tackle these ones chronologically um, because there is so much to talk about. And it's like really episodic, localized sort of scenes that make up this story. Um, uh, yes, they are. they are building blocks in a very straightforward way like mm. what happens next makes no sense without what happens prior um you can't yeah. even intuit what could have happened between these scenes uh, totally especially when you get to series to the um second episode um so but i'm obviously we're jumping ahead let's start uh episode 12 pandorica opens which has you said something to me when, when you were watching it that you weren't too keen on this cold cold open but I was watching it today, and I, I I really loved it. I really loved the the the. I don't know the reference point for it necessarily. Maybe there isn't one. But just jumping from planet to planet to time zone to place, specifically back through all of the episodes of the season, felt like a really rich way of rewarding the audience for following this season of Doctor Who, um, and in a way that yeah, like the the arcs of Russell T Davies era never really tried to do very much of. Um, mm -hmm. I, I really loved it. And I really felt the sense of adventure and fantasy and sci-fi and, and those really high, um, high sci-fi elements by going from storm cage to the, like the Dorian, like uh, that the first time we see Dorian and he's in the, like the space cantina um, bar to the Royal Collection, to all the, like, 
different points in time. I don't know. I just really liked it. And it. Oh, and then Planet One, which is just the Mushroom Kingdom. Uh, yes. Okay. So I guess I'm I'm of two minds because I think like in isolation, it is a very fun little segment of of Doctor Who. Um, and like you said, it does feel. It feels much more of a piece with like where Moffat is taking the show, which is that like, yes, everything's like a little bit more heightened under him, a bit more magical, a bit more surreal and whatnot. But it's also mm. very much like episodic television work is is what he tends to do. Um, and I think that by revisiting sort of like the big sort of like touchstones of, of this season, you do get a sense of like we are wrapping up a season of television in a way that, like you said, we haven't really gotten before. Um, so I, I definitely like that. I like the... Uh, the big revelation of like, oh, this is, you know, the first uh, example of like writing in, in, you know, in the entirety of history and the stupid fucking hello, sweetie joke. Like it's, <laughs> it's very sweet. Um, it, yeah. It's, it's fun. And I, and I like it. Um, my counterpoint to it is that I think episode like Pandorica opens and uh, the big bang are two tonally very different episodes. And uh, where the big bang is this kind of like rollicking, strange romp through time and 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 well, no through time not through space just through time basically mm. um the pandorica opens to me is after this cold open it turns into like a very like not a somber episode but it is much more serious right um and so after the credits you cut to river and amy and the doctor like riding horses through the night at like a like breakneck pace because uh, obviously something is wrong right yeah. And I think that is a much more effective opening image. And then you can cut back to like the exposition to explain why you sort of got there and whatnot. Um, but I just, I found the, the horse riding imagery quite striking and I, I much preferred it because I feel like it matches the tone of what the episode is doing. Does that make sense? Uh, <clears throat> it does. It's just that it does. I think absolutely for the most part. Um, but the, as that episode progresses, that first episode we then start to get the Doctor Who lore. We start to get the callbacks to Amy's house and the cracks and the everything. And so that opening, for me, felt like it was priming me to think about the series when approaching this episode, not just this mm-hmm. is a cool episode. But I, uh, I take yeah. your point. Yeah, and, and I, I definitely take yours as well. Like, there's a practical element to it that I, I, I do think works quite well. Mm. Uh, we also get one of my favorite River in jail scenes in the beginning <laughs> here. Um, yeah. You know, new, new guard on duty and then uh, cuts to him sort of like with his gun pulled on the jail cell. And he's like, oh, she tried to trick me, but it didn't work on me. I've got you now, Dr. Song. And it's just that little doodle of her on the wall that says bye. <laughs> like, um, so funny. Very fun. Yeah, it, it's goofy. Uh, broadly speaking, I think River is like at top of her game in this two-parter. Like we get some great River content that we get to talk about in a bit. Um, but we also get uh, River as Cleopatra, which I, I said to you before, but like <laughs> one of the dumbest images this show has ever produced. Oh my God, truly. Because <laughs> she, look, she doesn't look anything like Cleopatra. Not that we really know what Cleopatra looks like, but she's a, if I can say it, she's a white woman. What? What? what oh yeah. True. Why were they? Yeah. Why did they put her in that outfit? It makes it's, no sense. Well, me. it's the same thing as like uh, when she's dealing with the um, I don't know the guy's name. You, you probably do the the like arms dealer, the blue man. Uh, Dorian. 
Yeah, Dorian. When she's dealing with him and she's like the kind of like the, uh, like, you know, a vaguely Eastern, uh, yes. uh, like, je- like get up. And it's like, why, why are we doing this? What, what is, what is happening? <laughs> that is very true. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Yeah. Very, it's, very strange. And look, that's probably a good point in which to bring in um, one of the sort of big reference points for this episode, which is... Um, uh, Indiana Jones and obviously the the Underhenge and yes. the Pandorica Hall has very big Indiana Jones flaming torches cobwebs um, history kind of vibes to it and the the dark well, the dark but the, the the problematic underside of those very beloved very good films is that it played very fast and loose with a lot of racial stereotypes and you know the second one in particular which I I love as a kid and can also recognize that it's deeply deeply problematic. Um, has uh, one of the, the, the main um, female companion, basically, um, dressing in, you know, Chinese garb and, <laughs> mm, you know, yeah. dr- and pretend, not pretending to be Chinese, but like de- it. Look, there's a lot of stuff there. So there is. There it has, it has but you have hit on, that. I feel like, our first, uh, like, a major conversation point here, which is that, you know, after the kind of like very. Uh, fast pace of, of this opening where it's like big, uh, bombastic and fun and loud and whatnot. Um, you know, we get a bit of uh, a scene with River sort of explaining, hey, look, you know, your mate had this vision of the TARDIS blowing up. Uh, it's got something to do with the Pandorica because he gave us like a coordinates uh, in time and space and they lead to the Pandorica, I think is how, sort of how we get here. Um, and then, you know, we do get a very extended Indiana Jones-esque sequence of them just uh, by them, I say, uh, River, Amy, and the Doctor just hanging out in an underground tomb, examining a big old treasure box. Um, yeah. And it, the episode just kind of like slows down and lets you just spend time with these characters. And I, I love it. <clears throat> yeah, it's really, really good. And um, it really establishes, I think, one of the big strengths of this of this two-parter, which is that we have come very far from where we were at in the start of 2010 got completely new characters and they are taken to the audience's hearts and this mm-hmm. is evidence if evidence were needed that like this episode could have just been the four of them and actually just really does end up being just the four of them because there aren't much in the way of like other supporting characters in these stories and it no, works no they really aren't it really works um it, it does um and it yes. proves that you need you don't need big returning villains to come back and be like surprise doctor even though this does have well um, that's villains. kind of the irony right of, the, of this episode <laughs> um but look, we, we will talk about them because they're, they're, they're their own sort of discussion um I, I feel like this is probably a good chance you know i know we said we want to do this chronologically and we absolutely will but i think it's you know when we get a chance to talk about individual elements we really should um mm. the pandorica itself right mm. um I love this thing as a plot device. I I think the physicality of it is just super fucking cool to begin with. But then you add on top of that, you know, you get a lot of scenes where the doctor is down there with river and they're examining this thing being like, who possibly could have built this? Who could possibly try to even get out of this? And then there's like myth in this legend about, uh, you know, a trickster that would fall from the sky and, and wreak Mm -hmm. havoc. And, you know, that's apparently what's locked in there. And the doctor's running his hands long. and He's like, have we met before? And, 
you know, and yeah. I said this to you after I watched the episode and you said with hindsight, you know, it's very easy to be like, well, obviously it's, it's the doctor. That's who they're talking about. Right. But yeah. at the time, and I do remember this at the time as well, sort of been like, what the fuck could be in that box? Um, and it's, it's one of those brilliant bits of writing that Moffat does sometimes where it works as the mystery, but then it also works on rewatch knowing the answer because it, it becomes all the more satisfying for that answer already planted in your mind. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely didn't think it was going to be that on first watch. And so part of the joy, I think with most of Moffat episodes in general, but like part of the joy definitely for this one is seeing all those little references and, and you're like, oh God, it was there from the start. And we just didn't see. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's very good. It's very good. Um, uh, yeah, I don't really have much more to say on that other than the, the Pandorica itself is a beautiful little piece of design of the the little it is the shifting gear work kind of pattern on the side of it um is there's probably some kind of parallel with like a man in a box and a man in a blue box and the and the perfect puzzle box thing but i don't want to try and (laughs) make that connection (laughs) because it sounds dumb when you start saying it out loud um but it is good i do what do you think about all the returning villains in in this episode james uh look i i've been pretty vocal about that i i don't like the concept of returning villains just for the sake of it and i I think this is definitely guilty of it in in a sense um again i'm sort of two minds about it because um you know initially when it's just like, because the, the Daleks appear first, right? Well, okay, okay, actually, we have kind of glossed over something that I know that you've pointed out in your notes as well. But um, when they first get down there, they find the head of a Cyberman, right? Oof. And, like, a, a dismembered body elsewhere as well. Yep. Um, and this Cyberman head is one of the best little set pieces they've ever designed, I think, for the show. Because it is... It comes alive and it tries to kill Amy and it has, like, all of its little, like, tentacle things trying to, like, grab her and pull her in. And at first you're like okay, but what is it going to do with her? And then it like cuts its own face open and starts like clamping at her. Yeah. And it's, and like, there's like, you know, again, the Indiana Jones thing, there's this like kind of rotted human skull inside of it that like she has this big exaggerated scream at when she sees it. Um, it it's, and I think this is we're going to say a lot about this episode, but it is like Doctor Who just like having fun. Like it, it is, mm. it's Moffat to a T. Oh, firing on all cylinders, really. And it's funny because like he, I, I read something where it was like, he wrote that and he was like, oh, I don't really know how this is going to pan out. And then he saw it on screen and was like, oh God, I'm really, I'm clever. Or so, like, it worked really well. Um, <laughs> Him just in that director's chair, like, gosh, I'm good. <laughs> get, well, kind of. I mean, like, obviously he didn't direct it, but like get, giving that material yeah. over to a director is like, you know, a kid in a candy store because like they just make the most of it. And then, oh God, I didn't even like, I think it's so so important to point out like this is just one cyberman but by changing the elements of it you can create mm-hmm. a totally new threat and a and like a totally amazing threat just by doing that and um when the when she's like you know what are you going to do you're just a head and then you hear the body stamping <laughs> yeah, like you out. and whose body <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. um and it's like missing an arm it's like really beat up and it's obviously not got its head on um oh god and the little sounds are like <laughs> sounds it makes mm-hmm. it's like it's just it's nightmare fuel um oh, yeah no i i thought that that actually was yeah it's funny it's like one of the better uses of the cyberman in the show and it's only in it for five minutes 
Well, I guess that kind of hints at something that is occasionally a problem is that like to do something genuinely creative with a lot of the classic Who elements, like you can't sustain it for 50 minutes, you know? Um, like they need mm. to kind of get in and get out sometimes. Um, mm. And it works really well. I, I quite mm. like it. But um, back to your point about like the returning villains here. Um, it's, I mean, look, it's a money shot, right? To have yeah. all of these villains like all piled up around the Doctor. Um I think that it's narratively more interesting than it is in execution, if that makes sense. Like academically, uh -huh. I'm on board with what Moffat is suggesting here. Um, the the opening quote of this podcast being, you know, the the imagine how much fear went into the creation of this box, um, and the idea of like all of the Doctor's foes essentially deciding to work together because they're all fucking shit scared of him accidentally ending the universe, right? Because mm. the, the idea is that. It's not even necessarily to stop him from interfering in what they're doing. It's just, no. bro, you got to stop piloting the TARDIS, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> no. Um, and it, it, it's a really cool moment when he's like, you know, you, you've come here to ask for my help. And they're like, no, we're, we're, we're here to, to save the universe from you. Yeah. And like, it, that's just so shocking, right? Like, that's so shocking. Mm -hmm. It is. And totally underdeveloped. Like, it doesn't go anywhere beyond yeah. that line. It's it's a shock in the moment and it's fun for the moment. But then, you know, the the, the, the big bang happens and nothing really matters anymore. Um, yeah. But, yeah. But, you know, it, it is, it's a cool image. Um, I was very happy to see the chunky colored cyber, de cyber decks. <laughs> wow. Uh, Daleks, again. Um, I, it was nice to get a, a, even like a nod that they existed beyond that first episode where everyone hated them for no reason. Mm. Um, but, you know. It, well, it at at it this is. point, they'd made the episode and they weren't, they didn't know that people were going to hate them. Um, <laughs> yeah. But um, yes, I agree. And I, and I take your point and I hadn't really considered that because I was going to say something to the effect of like, oh, well, they're only in it for a short while. It's a They're there just to set the plot off basically and then they disappear. But yeah, like the fact that they disappear and the fact that there's a, a very big kind of concept brought up that isn't really even touched on after. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see your point. I see your point. Yeah. Um. But, you know, look, it, it, it is what it is. It's enjoyable for the time that they are on screen. Um, it leads to... I mean, okay, I guess because what it leads to is the end of the episode, which is going to take us into the next one. So there, there is some other stuff in this first one that we should probably touch on. Um, Rory's back. Rory's back and he's so sweet. And he's like, hi, Amy, it's me. And she's like, oh, I'm going to go fuck a Roman. Yep. <laughs> um which obviously that's hugely disingenuous, but it was, uh, but it's also true and good for her. Like, yeah. I love when she comes out at the start. Sorry, this is going back slightly. When she comes out at the start, she's like, Oh, it's my favorite story. The invasion of the hot Italians. <laughs> what? You were a kid when you wrote that? Amy. <laughs> oh my God. Um, uh, no, she's, is good though. I, I agree. It is good. Rory. I'm look, obviously it's just, it's a joy to have him back. Like they are, they are a trio, you know? Um, and look, I, I like the work that, um, Matt Smith goes on to do with, um, uh, old mate Coleman. Um, obviously I, I'm quite a big fan of that, but there is nothing quite like the, these three characters together. Mm. Um, and you know, we talked, was it last week when we talked about the lodger, uh, and, yeah. and the, um, the Vincent, the doctor episode where it's like, we're getting more and more of Matt Smith's doctor being like a, a very kind 
uh, force in the world. And you get a really, a really nice small blip of that in this episode where uh, Rory and the Doctor meet up first. Um, yeah. And they have like a really cute back and forth about like the Doctor not immediately realizing that Rory shouldn't be there. He just goes uh, back to treating him like normal. I love that. Uh, which is a lot of fun. Um but then, you know, eventually uh, Amy, like, sort of comes because she's been drugged by the cyber thing. And she comes to when she walks into the room and the doctor and Rory are having a conversation. He just stops mid-sentence. He's like, Rory, you're going to have to be really brave right now. I love Because that. Amy just brushes right past him and it's heartbreaking for Rory. But again, it's one of those small moments where, like, Matt Smith's, uh, like, empathy radiance is just, it's turned up to, like, 11. He's, he's, so, he's so sweet as a screen presence sometimes. He is, uh, and I do, uh, you know, that's, you know, we can obviously put that to Matt Smith, but, you know, props to the writers as well for just, uh, the writers, the uh, Stephen Moffat for making that a a priority. Because obviously, mm-hmm. like, if it had just been that one scene, you would brush it off, but there is a consistent uh, history of, of that being the, maybe we're making a lot of a, of a minor moment, but it, it is. Uh, it I mean, is. like, I think Doctor Who thrives in small moments, though, because the big moments are mm. so easy to talk about. Like, it's easy for us to sit here and be like, oh, it's so cool when he says, like, Geronimo and does the cool thing at the end of the finale. It's like, yeah, sure, that's fine. But, like, I can worry about the moments where I feel like I'm watching a friendship between people, you know? Oh, I do. Oh, sorry. Um, I do. And it goes back to what we were saying before. Like, you know, this is just a scene of the Doctor and, and Rory talking they're just talking um yeah. a lot of talking in the pandora opens <laughs> there is a lot of talking but then compare that to like um uh stolen earth where it's like oh we've got to we got to switch in the hopper and then call the <laughs> blip blue 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 i've got a coaxium blub diamond oh, oh harriet jones mp <laughs> no, look it's unfair to compare other finales to that particular it, finale because it is such a mess on its own right it um, is it is i i just will never be over it personally but yes sorry i'll i'll stop i'll rein it in um uh yes it's good hey river songs here yes and we love river we do love river um i put in the notes here i didn't know if you saw um that her outfit in this story i love that it's it's partly um based on han solo um because they wanted to sort oh of yeah 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 make a connection there between which i just thought was a sweet little detail and you know it's actually also interesting because like years later when they made that solo prequel what she's wearing would look right at home in that movie actually like mm. with the furs and the white leather and everything yeah good stuff it is but it's just further emphasizing if emphasis were needed that river song is a kick-ass um mystery of a woman oof sorry i think i've taken us down a dead end <laughs> <laughs> like you want to talk about river yeah i do i love river oh what a cool jacket she's wearing. <laughs> like uh yes yes i even gave you a good ball to bounce back i was like yeah it reminds me of that new solo movie they made that's like a nice connection and then you're like yes I gave you a ball. I was like, she's kick ass. It <laughs> <laughs> means nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's rad. Please don't talk. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, okay, pulling us back, pulling us back. Um, yeah, look, obviously not a ton to say about River Song. We don't learn a lot about her in this episode, um, but she is part of the gang. She's out of the action for a lot of the second episode, um, apart from one cool moment, which we'll obviously talk about when we get to it. But... Um, yeah, she gets stuck in the 
in the TARDIS at the end of this episode. And we probably should talk about that cliffhanger because it's it's where it's oh. what everything of that episode is leading up to. Uh, yes, and I would argue it is one of the best that they've ever pulled off um, because you mm. believe the stakes when you hit that ending, right? Um, so the Doctor gets locked up and you get that that great scene where... Because um, I think earlier in the episode, River has gone back to get the TARDIS to bring it to the Pandorica, basically. Um, and she gets in and tries to pilot it and like the TARDIS just starts freaking out and like jumping through uh, history. That's why we go back to uh, Amy's... Uh, childhood home and you know they, they get the revelation that all of this is based on like amy's childhood memories and whatnot which is like again really Ooh. cool and interesting um and, and creative you know yeah. um and you know because of this uh river gets kind of like trapped in like a, a broken tartar situation and then we find out that where it's landed her or taken her is like when the tartar is meant to blow up basically um and you know, one it is easily one of my favorite shots of all Doctor Who history is uh, she's on the phone oh. with him and he's like, you, you just got to get out. Just get out of the TARDIS, basically. Yeah. So she she hangs up. She starts trying to, like, eventually prevent the explosion, realizes that she can't. Uh, eventually, like, she tries the doors. The doors are locked. So she has to, like, you know, uh, essentially, like, blow them open. She finally makes it work opens the doors and it's just like a concrete wall in front of her. And then behind her, you can see the console starts exploding as she spins around. She's like, I'm sorry, my love. And just fucking mm. blips out of existence. It mm. is so good. And like, I just goosebumps describing it. Cause I was thinking about it. It's, it's such a fun, uh, well shot, well acted, cool use of a set, kind of everything about Doctor Who working the way that it should moment. And then the way that gets extrapolated on in the second part is, um, also again, fantastic. Um, but yeah, I guess the other part of this cliffhanger is that, like, the universe ends? <laughs> the, the universe does end. I, I Sorry, I'm just going to go back to something you just said, which I hadn't con- um, considered until this very moment, which is that they take she takes the TARDIS to Amy's house, which means Amy's house in 2010 is the exact centre of the explosion that the, the destroys the universe. Yeah. Oh, fuck. So when he goes to a house and he steps into the... Huh. Amy. Mm. She's a very special girl, that Amy. She's a very special girl. <laughs> the girl who waited. The impossible girl. Waited. girl. <laughs> no, that's the next one. You're thinking of... Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, you're thinking of this other girl. <laughs> yeah, you're thinking of the other girl. <laughs> um, uh, there's a truth in that, but we will get to that at some point. <laughs> yes, we will. We will. Um, uh, yes, so the universe does end. We get a really heartbreaking scene where... So Amy and Rory are on the the plane and and the so uh, sidebar Rory's an Auton he's been conjured <laughs> up by um, Amy's memories of him as a trap to set for the Doctor and so he's like no no I'm I'm me I'm Rory and he's struggling not to change and it <laughs> I don't know what sets it off exactly but um, well I mean like they're, they're soldiers and so they they get activated by a signal basically no 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 handguns. No, 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 not that. But I don't know what sets off that Amy starts remembering him. Um, oh, I think it's just, it's where he starts laying the seeds for like memory time. Fuck it. Whatever. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> yeah, I guess it, it, it is. They make a, a big point about saying that Amy is special for her ability yes. to remember. And- you know, you do get a lot of stuff throughout the season after she forgets. Well, not a lot, but you do get certain moments where it's like she's almost remembering, but she doesn't realize she's almost remembering, right? Yeah. Um, and so, like, I guess having him physically in front of her would be kind of like a turning point for that process. 
Uh, it would be. That's true. Um, but anyway, so she starts remembering him and she's like, oh, I'm never going to leave you again. You're my, you're my everything. And obviously he's turning into an auton and he shoots her. And mm. it's pretty devastating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> especially when you consider that's the shot we're left with at the end of the episode after the doctor's been sealed inside the Pandorica rivers in the exploding TARDIS. We just get a shot of, of Rory holding Amy's body and cradling her as it zooms out and shows the universe, you know, the stars exploding and then there's silence and then there's darkness and then there's nothing. Mm. And it's just, it, it's, it's, it's world ending, but the stakes have never been smaller. And it's so much yes. better for that. I completely agree. And I do think that's why it works as well as it does. It's because, and not, not to, not to, not to do it again, but um, if you looked mm. at something like um, Journey's End and, and whatnot, right. Where it's like, like literally reality itself is about to be ripped apart, but you don't feel it because no. the episode doesn't bother to establish kind of like the personal stakes that are happening in that episode. Right. Um, and this is the exact same thing. Like reality itself is blipping out of existence all around them. And they're left on this, like, which is such a great conceit for that uh, episode, uh, the um, the Big Bang episode. But like the idea that mm. like we're at the center of the explosion, and so we're the we're the last thing that's going to go out, and they're just on this like moored on this island of reality. That's that's all that's left, um, and that's very magical. It's very, it doesn't make any sense at all, but it doesn't matter because it just, <laughs> it works so well when you open in that, um, the next episode. Well, I guess we, we open with what, like a brilliant cold open. I, yeah. I love this stuff. It's cool. Yeah, it is a brilliant cold open. So what happens in, in the start of the big bang is we get, obviously get our usual recap of what's happened in the last episode. And then it goes into something like 18,000 years, 1800 years later. And it's, and it's um, young Amelia in her room doing the exact same prayer to Santa that she did in the 11th hour. And obviously this time the doctor doesn't land and there are no stars in the sky. And I do love this. Again, it goes back to what I was saying about the previous episode where there's an effort to tie the whole season together and this to this into an extremely neat bow. Um... And so what we get is this the repeat of this scene, but there are no stars. And so Amy is the only person, apparently, apart from a few scattered people we get hints of through the universe who remember that stars even existed. Um, obviously, what mm. the people of Earth don't realize is that the entire universe is gone and they're the last people left at the center of this explosion. Um, so... There's a someone who will be revealed later leaves a little... A uh, clue for Amy to go to a museum. I the pen- wonder who it could be. <laughs> <laughs> who could it be in a show called Doctor Who? Could it be you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember the follow-up to that reference. But anyway, I'll keep going. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and is it you? Well, no, I'm standing right here. It's like, <laughs> oh, fuck. Now you've got me thinking about The Simpsons. Yeah, no, I was doing the, um, the, I think you should leave. <laughs> so don't, <laughs> if you want me to invest, like, could it be you? Oh, <laughs> Granted, oh it's the part of that video that we quote the absolute least. So that is entirely is. my fault. I was thinking of Hibbert in the who shot Mr. Burns. Oh, episode I know what you going, were thinking of. Yeah. yeah. Was it? Yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> hope fuck. you enjoyed that listeners. 
Well, now I don't know where I was. Uh, who gives a who gives her a clue? It, it's the doctor, but we'll get there. Um, and she goes to the museum, and the Pandora's there, and her aunt's like, "Amelia, you dumb bitch, stop running ahead." And she's like, "Nah, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna hang out here at the museum for hours on end until you're all gone, so I can come out and I can touch the Pandora and I can make." It open, but who's inside the Pandorica? Not the Doctor, as you would think. It's Amy Pond, and she's like, "Ha ha ha, you dumb fuck." Uh, it's me, Amy, everyone's favorite. I would just like to say this is again <laughs> one of my favorite moments from this entire two-parter. And Callum has this way where he gets tired of recalling how things happen, and so he just re- like sort of digresses into this like, "Oh, you dumb bitch!" Oh, time travel, uh, and it really undersells how cool some of these moments are. But the reveal that Amy is inside the Pandora, and then she looks deadpan down the Carol camera, and is like, "This is where it gets complicated." So good. You're immediately off to the races, and what's like, I will say, I just, just say, structurally, if you're excited about it, you should have recounted it. <laughs> well, no, I didn't want to. I didn't. <laughs> don't do this to me. <laughs> That's your fault, not mine. No, no, it's not. No, it's not. Oh God. And what really works about this moment is that you know, as we were just saying, you know, the end of episode of the first episode is is so dark and so bleak and so like world-endingly bad. And then straight away they're like, "Amy's alive! Like, don't worry, we are going to find a way to fix this, and it's going to be a fun journey of how we're going to get there." And it immediately reestablishes the tone coming into the second part in that everything's going to be different now. It's going to be a bit wackier, a bit more fun, and mm. we're going to get you to that finish line. Yeah, it's yeah, just, it's yeah. it kicks things off so well. It definitely does reestablish that it's kind of the, it's, it's, you know, the essence of saying, you know, everything you thought up to now was wrong and yeah, yeah we're going to get ready, Amelia. Cause everything you know is about to change. Oh God. Oh my God. Amelia. Do you want to know why your hair is red? Oh <laughs> uh, God. I can't even, I can't, I'm too tired to even make a reference to the timeless child. That's Just, fine. My my only joke is it's bad. And moving on. Um <laughs> but but seriously. Um it yeah, it is a great it is a great opener, I will say. And little Amelia with her giant drink uh like <laughs> soda pop, whatever you call it, um <laughs> is very cute. Um you made a little comment about Aunt Sharon in our little chats before the episode that you thought she was a queer icon. Um, and I'd love for uh, you to have to explain that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, when we, when this cold open, uh, Amelia is having a moment with this, uh, woman who's not aunt Sharon, who's at the house suspiciously late sharing a intimate mm. cup of coffee with aunt Sharon and comes <laughs> under the impression that this is a child psychiatrist. I think it's aunt Sharon's lesbian lover. Well, it's established in this show that she has, uh, Amy has lots of psychologists that she saw because she the doctor was an imaginary friend. So, you know, I'm just going off what the show's telling me. Granted, so you're saying you hate queer representation? I'm saying I hate disingenuous queer representation. <laughs> this is on the same level of Yaz and the doctor. So, <laughs> oh, oh, God. We're being combative today. We are. We're being little, little, little so-and-sos. Um, <laughs> but anyway... Um, Yes, I just thought that was funny when you mentioned it because I hadn't even considered it because Aunt Sharon is such a blip of a character in this. Well, um, Amy's whole family really is, but that's that's that, another thing we'll get to. That is another thing we'll get to. So, 
so so yeah, we after the cold open, we we're in the we're in the museum and things things start to happen because it's the first indication that something is 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 not as it has been. And I'm talking about the show, not in the the, the story world of um this episode. Um although I guess the same is true for that too. Um Rory's cradling Amy's body on the the Roman battlefield and He's like, oh God, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then Deus Ex Machina, Doctor zips in with his teleport and he's wearing a fez and he's got a mop. And he's like, don't worry, Rory. I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm out. I'm going to get you out. And yeah, he's like, really like, don't worry. She's alive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. She's, she's not dead or whatever he says. Yeah. She's not dead. Well, not technically dead. And then he gives her the sonic screwdriver and he's like, you know, go free me from the Pandorica. And then he dis- disappears. And it's like, it, oh God, I can't even put into words like how earth shattering this is <laughs> in terms of Doctor mm-hmm. Who. Um, Cause up to this point, the doctor, I, oh, and I think I've said this to you, James, like <clears throat> we not, not a year ago in terms of, the history of the show from this episode uh, had an episode where the doctor changes a tiny thing about time mm-hmm. and he, he becomes dark doctor and <laughs> he's like, <laughs> fuck you all. I'm going to life. Death doesn't matter to me. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, we get the doctor just being like in this one, zipping in and out of time, changing things, creating paradoxes and just being like, well, 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 up. <laughs> um, uh, it's good. I think that's good. No, I, I agree. And I think it, like in actual story terms, it probably is because the universe is like dying that he feels like he can do this. Um, you know, and they don't, but then also they do a lot of this time, timey wimey for lack of a better word stuff through the whole Moffat era. So it's definitely here to stay. And I think it is a, it, it's just a good signifier of like, what the values of this era are and this whole the one of the taglines of this whole series has been time can be rewritten that's what the cracks Mm. in time have told us that's what amy forgetting the daleks has told us and all that stuff time is not this kind of fixed thing it is it changeable and i really love that like this episode basically is a lot of time travel hijinks as we see events uh that we've seen from a different perspective when the doctor goes back in time to use with this vortex manipulator to use like, you know, there's a bit in the open where Amy's drink gets stolen and it's, it's the doctor going back in time to get her drink, to give to future Amelia because she said she was thirsty. Like (laughs) (laughs) it's dumb and it's stupid, but it's just, it's really neat to watch it all unfold in front of you. Well, he's just, he's having fun with it, right? Like he writes himself a pocket universe where it doesn't matter any like every rule can be broken because there are no more rules in existence right is a sort of essentially what he's he's got with this episode um and he uses Mm. it to just absolutely terrific effect at at every turn i'm delighted by the next like silly thing that happens here basically uh yeah i completely agree Mm. what does happen next james uh well you know um uh See this, <laughs> see, this is the problem with this this second episode is that like a beat by beat recount is is very hard to actually keep track of in your head because it all blends into one event episode basically. Um, mm. But well, uh, what they does realize that that the the sun 
isn't the uh, sun I, actually. Oh, hang on. You have skipped over something. Sorry. And I don't know why I'm being a little bitch about it because I made you try to <laughs> recount the plot. But what, um, what happens is, uh, once Amy's out of the TARDIS and she's with, uh, out of the TARDIS, out of the Pandorica, there's a, the light from the Pandorica hits a Dalek, uh, a stone Dalek. That's also an exhibit in the museum and it comes back to life. But that Dalek is shot by one and only Rory Williams because he's been waiting for 2,000 years to guard the Pandorica. Right. The Why? Rory who waited. The Rory who waited. The Rory who waited. It's a very exceptionally romantic moment. Oh, um, it's stunning. <laughs> I love that you took that and you summed it up with a meme. Thanks. <laughs> I like Doctor Who. No, look, it's very good. So, you know, essentially once the Doctor starts uh, fucking around with time, um, they put Amy in the Pandorica as a way of... Uh, how does it bring her back to life? Well, the Pandorica is restorative. It's it's There's something about it. Actually, it's very integral to the plot of the episode, I suppose, in that... Um, I don't know what the technology that they're talking about. I mean, obviously it's all magic, um, but they say something about the light from the Pandorica um, not only contains atoms of the original universe, but it's designed to keep you alive. So it's like a, it's just a self-repairing box, basically. Right. In the same okay. way like the nanogenes from Moffat's first story back in 2005 are. Like it's just, it just, it just keeps you alive. So it restores, cool. it needs 2000 years to restore her to life, basically. Okay. Which is good because that then gives Rory a chance to be like, because basically the doctor says, Hey, like just hold my hand and like, we'll blip 2000 years into the future and we can just fix this all now. Mm. And he's like, no, like she will be safer if I stay. Mm. And so the doctor just like blips out of existence and then Rory's just left and he draws his sword and he sits down next to the box and he just waits. Hmm. Um, and then in the museum, you get this like really, like I, I, oh, I, I do find it. it quite effective. Yeah, it, it's it's quite beautiful, isn't it? Like it's this kind of history of this like lone centurion who would always be anywhere that the box was. Um, and then you see like, you know, the last time that he was seen was during like a blitz during World War Two. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and like the whole idea, he wasn't aging. Nobody ever really knew why. He seemed exceptionally strong. You know, rumors are that he like pulled the box out of the flames that night and then was never seen again. Um, it's just, it's just so romantic, and it's so Moffat to to write a man who waited two thousand years to be with Amy Pond. Well, yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, that's what this whole series has been about. It's like. It's it romance. Romance is is waiting. Romance is putting yourself through harm. Romance is, um, doing the impossible for the people you love. It's mm-hmm. superbly earnest. Um, yes. but there is nothing more affecting, I think, than that image of the Doctor blipping from existence, and then Rory just sits down next to the Pandorica, and you're just like, oh fuck, he's gonna do this for two thousand. <laughs> For 2,000 years. Mm -hmm. I can't... You can't, like, imagine that. And it's also very, very interesting that I think later episodes uh, in the show sort of suggest that he remembers everything about that period, which is Uh, bizarre. 
It is bizarre. And probably the one thing I, I wouldn't keep in. Um, no. <laughs> if I was running the show. But yeah, like there's a line in this episode where in the, at the wedding where he's like, oh, I was plastic. And you're like, oh, so you remember being plastic. So what else do you remember? And I think yeah, fans so have like, filled in uh, the Ergo, the you would remember 2000 years of going a little bit nuts. <laughs> oh, imagine. yeah, exactly. Exactly. But it's very Moffat. It's a very Moffat thing to sort of be like, no, I won't go mad because I have a purpose. And my purpose is, you know, saving Amy. Um, yeah, it, it's very, it's very romantic. But yes. <laughs> so true. So very romantic. Um, yeah. So I guess uh, what, what else happens? Uh, we find out that the sun is actually the center of the TARDIS explosion and mm. the doctor picks up a faint uh, radio signal somehow um, of <laughs> uh, essentially the the control room of the TARDIS in an, in an attempt to save River's life has trapped her in like a little 12 second time loop. And it's that exact like last 12 seconds of her life, basically. So I'm sorry, mm. my love. I'm sorry, my love. I'm sorry, my love over and over and over again, which is in and of itself, like such a beautifully poetic little like cool. moment in this episode. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, he, like you see her do it a couple more times and then she turns to open the door and he's standing there. And what, what does she say? She's like, what, what time do you, what call, time this? Do you call this? Yeah. Yeah. So much fun. <laughs> it's really, really cool. Uh, um, and this is like a, a broader note that I, I've put here, but uh, I always forget because I feel like River makes such a, a strong first impression when she shows up in the show for the first time, right? Yeah. And then, you know, obviously because I'm so absolutely obsessed with Capaldi, like I, I always think about those two together. I never pay a lot of attention to Matt Smith and um, what is her name? Alex Kingston. Alex Kingston, but they have a tremendous amount of chemistry together. Like him being younger than her really shifts the dynamic in such a fun, sexy way. Uh, yeah, but you never feel it, do you? I mean, I, I personally don't ever um, think of them as like, oh, he's a young guy and she's an older woman, even though they do make a lot of points and jokes about that. Like they just feel uh, like very timeless people who... Like they feel like yes, they, they I, I just like meant more characters. in terms of like the the physical on screen chemistry has to shift around the different actors, right? Whereas like when she starts sure. off with Tennant, it's more of like an even playing field. With Smith, she's the more like sort of adventurous. The character is literally coming into her own as Moffat gets better at writing her as well. She's a lot more plot relevant, and so she becomes like this kind of like dominant sexual amazing force of power in his life mm. as he's wearing the guise of a young man. And mm. then by the time she catches up with Capaldi. You know, you get onto this very, like, two people who were sort of, like, beautifully aging with dignity, like, even though, like, their timelines don't match up that way because of the way that the actors are playing off of each other, it always feels like you're moving through their relationship at a really appropriate, uh, like, beat, if that makes sense. Uh, it does. Actually, that does make sense when you say it like that. <clears throat> and obviously, you know, she only gets one story with Tennant and Capaldi. So Smith is really, it's it. It, that's it mm. for her. This is the definition of River in terms yes. of her history. And God, she's good. Uh, so yeah. once she gets saved uh, and her and Amy are like, take that fucking fez off. Uh, leads to one of my favorite <laughs> jokes in there as well. When like they blow it up and he's like, oh no, this is much later in the episode actually. But essentially, uh, you know, he thinks he's he's stopped the end of the universe. And he like he's like, oh good, I'm all here. I'm all here. And he touches his body. He's like, yep, yep, got everything. He's like, oh, my fez. I can buy a mm. Fez. <laughs> like, it's so silly. <laughs> it is silly, but it's very... I had the same reaction. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
So when River comes back in, the Dalek that is sort of stalking them through the museum has restored itself to some semblance of, of power and is now hunting them down. Uh, it ends up shooting the Doctor and River gets just the best like stone cold companion moment, right? Uh, she does. Are you talking about the Dalek? Yeah. Yes, she does. There's this... And it's really, really good as well in just set, in setting up like... <clears throat> the next season of of River's story of, of hinting at what she possibly could be because this Dalek is advancing and she tells Amy and Rory, you know, go, go, look after the Doctor because the Doctor has died, I think, at this point or they mm. think he's died. Um, and so she, she pulls a gun on the Dalek and she's like, you know, and the Dalek's like, you are an associate of the Doctor. Records say you will show mercy. And she's like, <laughs> I'm River Song. Check your records again. And then it, there's a silence and then it goes, Mercy, and it's like, what did you say? Mercy, <laughs> one more time. Mercy, and then she shoots it. And then, oh, yeah. Well, the thing is, I don't even think we see her shoot, do we? We don't see her shoot. All we get is that she comes back into the room, and like, Amy's like, uh, what happened to the Dalek? And she just goes, it died. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so cool. I don't even know why uh, it's cool. It's just, it's the way she deadpan says it died. That, yeah. Oh my God, it makes me laugh. It is, it is fantastic. And it also gets to like, occasionally you do just want to see someone in Doctor Who blow something up uh, because it's like justified violence, essentially. Like the Doctor it, being all like, oh, no guns, no death. It's like, yeah, sure. You're the good guy. You have to say that. But if everyone else around you could occasionally just like, you know, mm. fuck up a, a fascist war monster, do it. It kind of ties into like um, that scene at, at the end of next season when you got the eye patch lady and Amy's like, you know, that that's mm. the one thing the doctor will never do is like kill someone, but he's not around. And then she kills, this is a spoiler, she kills the woman. Ah. Um, and also- And so she should. And so she should because, you know, the things that the, that woman did to her are awful and that woman in particular in real life is a piece of shit. Um, um, but it also reminds me of- um, <laughs> And this is, I love that I'm making this reference. Uh, it reminds me of Buffy the Vampire Slayer because there's a bit in season five, I think, with Glory where um, the, Giles, who's Buffy's mentor and this, you know, um, this lovely stuffy English professor, when Buffy isn't around, he just straight up murders somebody. Mm-hmm. And it's like, who are these characters who are supporting the main character when they're not around? Yeah. They they do the things that the, that character can't do by necessity. Um, I think I've drawn a very long bow there. But. I, no, I'm I'm always happy to talk about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That is that is. Funny. <laughs> um, yeah. There's also I guess like the big thing before we go into sort of like how this episode wraps up, but like mm. the big thing that's hanging over this episode in particular is, and you and I both noted this in our notes when we compared them, but the idea of the end of existence coming about in a museum is is very oh, yeah. Moffat. It's so poetic. Yes, I did want to touch on this and thanks for you for bringing the conversation back to it because um, I hadn't considered just how much this season has like reinforced and made you think about museums, history, uh, etc. before this episode because you, there are like, <clears throat> there's the museum in the Angels 2 part of the Doctor and Amy visit which sets up that that's how the doctor communicates with River is by, you know, historical artifacts and memorabilia, like stuff like that through time. 
um eventually he will come across it and then he'll get another adventure with river um there's that line in the vampires of venice where rosanna calvieri says the doctor belongs in a museum there's the silurians the creatures from the dawns of time there's the the um the royal collection and this story uh with uh, on the starship uk and then obviously the van gogh van gogh uh gallery Mm -hmm. it's all this stuff which is is making you think about the fact that in the doctor who universe history and the history of our universe both future and past um is it's not dead It, it is dead it's alive and dead at the same time um and mm-hmm. this is a very this is very much a Moffat thing. There's a great line in a Clara episode from this era where they I think it's in the Hyde episode where they go backwards. They the Doctor and Clara see the entire history of you, the Earth from start to death, and then she's like, "I just watched the entire history of the universe, and it's it's dead, and I'm dead somewhere out there. Um, mm. You know, we must all be ghosts to you." And I just, I just, I haven't fully thrown to my feelings about it because I literally came to this revelation, say revelation, uh, 20 minutes before we started recording. Um, but it is, it is there if you want to see it, this, that history and stories in particular, um, history is not dead. It's alive and it is and museums are this sort of very doctor who symbol of getting there do you want to jump off what i've anything i've just said <laughs> uh no um but no <laughs> <laughs> no, no like i like i i think i i think i agree yes <laughs> yeah i'm so sorry <laughs> no 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 fair uh, enough was... I, there's a, there's something in there but i just i haven't really interrogated it enough to talk about it with any clarity so it's there no. let's we can leave it at that <laughs> Yeah, no, good, good stuff, good stuff. Um, yeah, so look, you know, obviously they figure out a way that they're gonna they're gonna fix everything. The the mechanics of this don't really matter too much. You, you've seen the episode. I think that it would probably be best if we just focus on sort of like the, you know, the sort of emotional and thematic uh, truths of this ending that I think you and I both really resonate with. But um, yeah. the the Amy's parents stuff, I know, really Ooh, gets you, I, doesn't it? Can I talk about one scene before we get to the Amy parents stuff? Of course. Uh, I do just want to touch on the scene in the museum when the, the doctor is preparing to take the Pandorica to the middle of the TARDIS and he calls Amy over to him. And I, I, I said this to you on the phone, but I just, I really love that moment of where he sort of, he, he makes it all click together for Amy. And it's something that really is very obvious before this scene. Um, if you chose to see it, Um, but it is the case that we've had four years of doctor of companions, having these families, these really rich family lives and these things that anchor them to home. And Amy is the first companion to come along without any of that baggage. And you don't question it until this episode where it's like, Oh, Amy doesn't have that baggage. Not because the writers haven't put it in there, but because in she is, it's literally been taken from her. The, mm-hmm. the crack has erased her parents from history and she's living in this big house. She's this fairy tale, impossible girl living in this big house because, you know, her history has been like erased and changed. Um, and I just love, I just love that as a story idea, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also love the way that he writes that scene of making the, the doctor be 
this it goes back to what you're saying about Matt Smith being this very kind figure because the way he talks to Amy is so gentle and sweet and he's like that house is so big and you know how could a house be that big it's okay it's okay you're you're gonna see them again and I'm gonna make it okay and I'm gonna bring them back um mm. and the way he just reassures her through what is a horrific realization for her that she can't even remember her parents um yeah I, I don't know I just I love her and then it leads into an amazing crescendo which is like 18 minutes from the finale the actual end of the episode which I love it's this really it's like basically halfway through the episode if in terms of runtime but mm-hmm. he says to Amy you know she starts crying and she's he says you know hey gotcha and then there's that little look of like oh what have you done and then the door shut and he's taking mm-hmm. off and she's like oh my god what is happening and then you said this to me, but the doctor ship post text river to say Geronimo on the way up <laughs> yeah. to yeah. saving the universe. Like the music swelling, the CGI. I just, I love it so much. And then it all ends with this, it, you know, the doctor's back in the TARDIS and he's going back through his time stream. And then we get obviously that really neat little moment where you see that the the scene from Flesh and Stone, which everyone thought was a continuity error, is actually <laughs> the Doctor, yeah, you know, so talking good. to Amy. It is it is good. Again, it's another reward. If you've watched it, you've watched it all the way through, you're like, oh, God, that had one meaning in that episode, but the meaning now attached to it is so much more potent. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then a really beautiful scene by Amy, young Amy's bedside where the Doctor gives us the thesis statement for the whole season, which is just that <laughs> we are all stories in the end. And he is another story. He is a story because he, the, the, the stories and the legends and the myths that are built up around this character are so much bigger than who the person is and better mm-hmm. in a way. Um, and it's those stories that keep him alive and obviously then lead to his ultimate resurrection at the end of the episode. I just like, it's just, it's just beautiful. And yeah. then Amy's Rory, uh, Amy's parents are there, and they're there for two seconds, and they're comedy, comedy <laughs> characters. Yeah, I, I I feel kind of nothing about them. Um, like it just on, on any level, I I don't feel much at all, and that that's fine. I don't think you're necessarily meant to. And this is interesting because like I think depending on how you frame it, it is both a criticism and also not a real problem. But yeah. you know, to have this story where so much of the emotional sort of impact of, of this story and this season relies on you feeling that moment when you realize that Amy doesn't even remember having her parents. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that's good. And then they come back for two scenes yeah. and they don't matter at all to the plot beyond this point. Like they are effectively their return, their existence within her world is not a, a tangible change to anything about the character. Like if, if anything, we go straight back to like, just regular Amy Rory next season, right? Yeah. Um, And from that point of view, I could definitely see why some people would find it sort of unsatisfying that they are this way. I personally, the way Moffat writes sometimes, and this is going to lead us straight into sort of like where this episode ends, but, you know, it's interesting that the, the trappings that RTD fleshed out so thoroughly, you know, like these working class environments, the parents, you know, the, uh, the wedding situation, like the the social situation in this instance, it's, it's the big wedding, right. Um, 
all of these things were everything to RTD's companions. And in Moffat, they are neat story concluding points, but they are not the emotional thrust of where we're going to end up with these characters. And so it almost feels like it's a it's a pit stop. A very effectively filmed one, mind you. Like, I, I love the wedding, right? Um, but I, I can definitely... I think there is maybe some criticism to be had here about the fact that we spend so much time getting Amy back to having parents, and then it, it, it means nothing in the end. I think it's just... It's a victim of time really like yeah. it's it's the very very end of the episode when these characters come back and and how could they mm-hmm. you know fill that spot in such a short amount of time um and there's also you know you couldn't do an, a version of this episode where Rory isn't there for the majority of it but it would make more sense considering how he was taken to have him be the one that's that's brought back from her memory in that moment that that's really that's the thing the emotional, yeah, at the same time as I talk about how lovely and sweet that scene is, the real kind of oomph of that scene is is Amy bringing the Doctor back. Because it is yeah. a culmination of everything that this season has led up to of saying, like, the Doctor, you know, from the very first episode where he was like, you know, you grew up, but that's okay, I can fix that. Mm-hmm. Um, this That moment of her standing up at her own wedding and defiantly being like, my imaginary friend is real and I'm going to bring him back. And she's proven right. Um, oh, truly. I yeah. I definitely tear up when she has that moment, which is like, because when I was a little girl, I had an imaginary friend and he was real. Like the defiance that she has in that moment, because, you mm. know, like a lot of that first episode is everyone been like, wait, the, the, the raggedy doctor is real? Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Of disbelief, right? And yeah. no one really believes her by the end of that episode. Mm-hmm. Um, she is treated as... <sighs> crazy which is its own thing which i don't think we have time to really talk about um uh good it's good i think that you know moffat just doesn't care about parents and that's fine and yeah it's 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 more i it's the emotion for amy in that moment and uh yes uh, agreed and this is something that we sort of go on to see a lot with him but like it he, he really likes his chosen family stuff um, I feel like he's much more interested in that as a dynamic for, for Doctor Who as a show, which, look, you know, after many years of RTD, I'm, I'm very, I'm very happy to make that shift. Um, well, we that need said, only, though, I was going to say, we need only see what happens with River and, and, and that revelation next season to see how true that mm. is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry, you were going to say. No, I just, I just like the wedding just as a, as a bit of television. I, I think it's great. Like all the, the doctor dancing with the kids is, is super sweet and fun. Uh, Amy and Rory having their slow dance together is romantic and beautiful. And, it, and you do feel like you've earned their moment of peace on that dance floor by the end of this season. You do. Yeah. Like they are, <clears throat> they're finally together. Everything, everything's right in the world. And there's yeah. only one mystery left to solve, which is who is River Song. But that gets taken to next season. Well, that and why did the TARDIS blow up and what is silence? There's there's a few threads that they, they oh, obviously are Oh, God, the like, silence. Yeah, remember oh. the silence? They're back in silence. Well, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get to them um, very, very soon. Actually. I'm so excited. I am so excited for Series 6. That is a mm. wild season of television. <laughs> mm, mm. I think it's probably the one we have watched the least of, probably. So, uh, Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it, too. Uh, obviously, we end this episode on 
Amy is waving goodbye to her family at her own wedding and she takes off in the TARDIS with Rory and the Doctor onto new adventures and it's a happy ending. And it's a really it nicely earned happy ending because we don't often get them in Doctor Who. Mm. Um, it, you know, it, I just, yeah, God. Perfect cap to a perfect season of, of television. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's interesting, like, in, in retrospect, I look back on this series and it's like, it is just, it's a really really solid season of doctor who yeah um in in ordinary uh, seasons of our show we would recap the series at the end of an episode of uh, um in a series finale episode but like this these two episodes do such a good job of doing that already (laughs) that it it, Uh, we've sort of been doing that through the whole discussion Mm -hmm. so truly um, and, and that's it. Like I'm looking back at the kind of like the list of episodes now and it is just, it's so focused on all of the themes that come home to roost here. Like you were just saying, like it is literally about, it's about history, time and Amy, like, and, and not in like a plotty way either. Like, yeah, like the whole like cracks in the wall and like pouring into Amy's head and oh, you're so special. Like that stuff is there, but it doesn't matter. Like it is, it is a means to an end. It is. And I, I just... I just think Moffat, you know, for all his flaws, is a writer who's incredibly fu- switched on. Um, yes. He can be switched on to the wrong things. Like, don't get us wrong. But when he's on the good stuff, oh, there's nothing like a Moffat run of, of a show. Mm. Mm. Agreed. And we probably aren't going to get the heights of this until we get to Capaldi's era. Ooh. Oh, um, the bells of St. John. No, but <laughs> no, look, I, I look series six is definitely got some lower points, but it also has some phenomenal high points. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we're going to have a very good time. I think we are going to have a good time, but let's, let's wrap up series five, give these episodes a couple of scores and then the series a score. How do you think about yeah, that? Let's do it. Let's go. Let's do yeah. it. Um, I would say that uh, the Pandorica opens is a, an A and I think uh, the Big Bang is probably also an A. Like I, and I was thinking about this like on the, on the drive home from work today when I was thinking about like sort of how I wanted to sum up my feelings on this two-parter where it's like, everything is really fucking good here. Um, like hmm. uh, from a raw entertainment point of view, these are fantastic episodes. They don't quite set my heart and soul on fire the way that like later stuff will with Clara. Yeah. Um, but that I think technically and, uh, sort of like broadly academically and emotionally and entertainment wise, they're just very, very, very good. Like they're not quite an A plus, but they're an A's. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. I think overall they're A's. I'd probably give... Um, the first episode an A minus just because some of the Roman stuff That's I fair. find really grating. Um, you'll notice I didn't <laughs> yeah. really talk much about them. Um, There's nothing to talk about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, on the whole, A's and as a series, A. It's A. Yeah, it's A. Just a solid easy A. It's A. A. <laughs> oh. Fantastic. Uh, we will be back before Christmas to mm. watch a Christmas special that I have never seen. I can't wait for you to watch this episode. I hope you love it. If you don't, then we're never going to put an episode about it because I don't want to talk about it if you don't love it. Yeah. 
<laughs> we just would jump straight to season six in the new year. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Outstanding. yeah, it, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Um, and oh, well, what a good ride we've had with series five. Um, oh, truly. This is, um, I, it's, it's a great seat. Like if you want to look at this as like essentially like a reboot season, this is, this is a great start. Hmm. Hmm. This and series one are great po- points for people to jump on board with. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. For sure. Except for um, Series 11, which is... Why am I trying to bring Jodie Whittaker down in the, when no, no one brought no, it up? Okay, to your to your credit, though, I was also just thinking about Series 11 as as if it was, like, a jumping in point for, for new fans. And, like, it's not a sure. bad one. No. Uh, I mean... Uh, look, a good whatever. one. I wouldn't recommend yeah. it. <laughs> it's not a good one though. <laughs> no, look, yeah, we'll we'll get to series eleven when we get to series eleven. Mm. Mm. On that note, <laughs> <laughs> oh great, God. we can't finish an episode for to save us. Um, as always, listeners, thank you so much for listening to us this fortnight um, and every fortnight here on Two Hearts. Um, as we say every week, please drop us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to the show, because um, it helps us out, helps us grow this show. And we've and we've, we have noticed that there's been more people listening week on week, um, so which is really thrilling to see. Um, oh, truly, like it is such an absurd idea to us that like somehow more and more people are choosing to listen to this show. Um, but it is like it's it's great. Thank you so much. <laughs> It, truly thank you and so you know please reach out to us we we'd love we would love to hear from you if you feel comfortable talking um we'd love to hear your thoughts and questions and so if you do want to reach out to us um you can do so by emailing us at two hearts podcast at gmail.com um that is to the word two or you can find us on twitter and instagram and all the lovely social media platforms at two hearts pod and that is to the number two I've been Callum, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at TheatraCallum. Uh, I've been James. You can find me on Twitter at OMGMoreJames. Until next time, folks. Bye-bye. Keep watching the skis. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>